Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about inflation, uh, more specifically some research that US firm Research Affiliates put together uh, a few months ago that suggests or that they studied inflation since 1970 and suggests that when it gets to a certain point, uh, certainly that we've achieved over the last uh, several months, that inflation is a lot stickier. Uh, and in that case, maybe inflation and interest rates will may, remain higher for longer. So, of course, inflation in the March quarter reduced from 7.8% in the December quarter to 7% in the March quarter. And of course, that was good news. And many economists are thinking that inflation will continue to fall from here on for the really the rest of the year. But history tells us that based on the research that research affiliates put together, that when inflation exceeds 8%, on average, it's taken more than a decade to return back to normal levels. And so uh, perhaps we shouldn't avoid you know, history because sometimes history teaches us lessons. And so what I wanted to do is sort of talk about that research and give you some ideas on how you might change a, an investment portfolio to accommodate the risk that both inflation and interest rates remain higher. Now, of course, inflation will probably fall uh, this year. And the, the research that uh, research affiliates put together showed that inflation will uh, peak peak and trough throughout periods. So it's not unusual that we'll see inflation fall. Uh, and it's going to fall because obviously the a quarter gets dropped out of the annual readings and a new quarter is added. And if that new quarter, the inflation rate of, in that new quarter is lower, then of course the average rate is going to fall over a 12-month period. So for example, when inflation went from... in the December quarter, or year to December, I should say, uh, to 7% in the year to March. It was because we, uh, the the March 2022 um, reading dropped out of the calculation and the March 2023 was included, uh, obviously, in the year to March figures. Uh, And the March 22 reading was 2.1% and the March 23 reading was 1.4%. So, of course, as we... Uh, progress forward, you know, and as inflation that the previous inflation reading drops out of the next calculation, uh, of course, we're going to see a decline that doesn't necessarily mean that decline will persist. And really, if we have any chance of inflation getting back into the RBA's target range of two to three percent, we really need the quarterly readings to remain below uh, 0.75 of a percent you know, for, for the next year, which, you know, was some, some way off actually sort of achieving that result or even getting where, anywhere near it. So it's tempting to adopt a viewpoint if we want it to be true. And uh, so, for example, I know, you know, many people are going to want to believe that inflation is going to come back really quickly, that interest rates are therefore going to come back quickly also. And, you know, this new high of interest rates is only temporary. Um, that, that would be nice to believe, but sometimes, you know, life doesn't always play out how we want it to. And so to avoid this sort of this bias, this temptation to believe what you want to believe, I often look back to history, what has happened in similar situations and, that, and use that to kind of frame my own expectations. And then those expectations then frame what I'm going to do investment wise. 
And so, as I said, US uh, firm research affiliates, which has done a lot of peer-reviewed research, you know, they've got a, a, a really, really smart team. They, they looked at uh, how inflation has behaved since 1970, so really over 50 years of data. And, and I'll just give you a few points. I've got a link to the, the study in the show notes if you want to really do a deep dive in there. But I'll just give you a couple of points that I sort of took away. The first one was that when inflation rose above 4%, it tended to be non-transitory, which means that it took a lot longer for it to return to normal. But if inflation rises at or below 4%, it tended to be transitory and, and uh, was dealt with relatively quickly. And if you remember, there was a whole co- cohort 18 months, two years ago saying, look, inflation is transitory. I think it returned to normal. And I was certainly in that camp too, thinking that inflation was uh, only caused by supply shocks and uh, yeah, as a result of COVID lockdowns and so forth, what looking back, what we, what I certainly underestimated was the uh, impact of the massive cash injection through low interest rates and quantitative easing that uh, ultimately has has now um, driven inflation probably or contributed largely to it. Uh, the next point was uh, that research affiliates found was that when inflation rose above eight percent which of course it did in the US and and most of Europe last year, 70% of the time, inflation subsequently rose to 10%. So that means 70% of the time, any fall in inflation, maybe like we're experiencing now, was only temporary. And perhaps the most compelling insight was how sticky inflation can be. When inflation rose above 8%, again, as it already has, the median time it took to fall below 3%, was 11 years. So potentially 70% of the time it took more than a decade for inflation to come back down to what I would regard as normal or most people would regard as normal. That's pretty compelling data really. Now, of course, this time could be different. And of course, 30% of the time it it fell back down to 3% uh, a lot quicker than that. So, of course, it is possible that inflation will come back down quickly and stay lower. It is possible, but it probably shouldn't be your most likely scenario uh, from an investment decision perspective um, and from a financial decision perspective uh, based on that data that we've seen over the last 50 years. So let's think about then if inflation is to remain high, what, what could possibly contribute to that? Why would it remain high? You know, because you'd be excused for thinking that the the RBA has hiked rates by 4% over the last 11 months, that surely that's enough to do all the hard work to get inflation under control. Well, firstly, of course, there's a lag effect uh, associated with these interest rate hikes. So we don't really, you know, it's impossible for anyone to measure, including the RBA, by the way, uh, whether the interest rate hikes to date uh, will be enough. You know, we just haven't had enough time. Uh, of course, there's a lot of uh, borrowers on on fixed rates, uh, so they haven't really felt the impact yet of higher interest rates, but they certainly will over the coming six months. Most of those borrowers will come off fixed rates over that time. And so, of course, we'll, we'll see whether that's uh, w- w- what effect that's going to have. Also, if you've got a principal interest loan, uh, whilst the interest rate might increase you know, a couple of weeks after the RBA increases its interest rate, the actual repayments might not necessarily increase for two or three months afterwards because banks don't automatically recalculate uh, minimum principal interest repayments as soon as the interest rate has changed. 
Uh, so again, there, there can be a bit of a, a lag effect there. And look, my guess is that the RBA probably feels like uh, it's better to push the interest rate too high um, because they can always cut it again than not push it high enough. And if they don't push it high enough uh, and we then have to deal with high inflation for the next 11 years, that's a pretty poor outcome. And so I imagine what they're thinking is I would that we'd rather really push it to extremes where spending really drops and potentially even cause a theoretical recession in Australia because then they can just turn around and cut interest rates very heavily or, and very quickly uh, if they need to do so. So anyway, the point is what what could contribute to higher inflation? Well, the uh, a wage price spiral will further fuel inflation. That means that uh, wages are increasing, um, which helps people sort of fuel further inflation. And you would have seen that the Fair Work Commission increased the minimum wage by almost 6% the other week, which I think few would argue against, you know, the, the lowest paid uh, Australians certainly would be struggling with, you know, higher inflation and cost of living costs and so forth. But uh, you also can't argue that it's not going to be inflationary. And in fact, uh, fund manager Coolabar Capital recently analysed the the recent GDP data and found that uh, labour costs have been the largest contributor towards inflation. So certainly there is some sort of wage price spiral going on at the moment. Um, which is a bit of a concern. Of course, as I've spoken about in this podcast, rents are rising really fast. Uh, Rents account for almost 7% of CPI. Interest rates will push up rents even higher now, I think, and uh, also the cost of housing. Interest rates will push the cost of housing up higher. And the cost of housing, which uh, rent is a component of that, is about 23% of the CPI measure. So interest rates will start to filter into CPI. It's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy, really. So that'll be a concern. Uh, Of course, energy costs, gas, electricity expected to rise significantly over the next 12 months. I don't think that's a, a surprise. Uh, And also, I think uh, anecdotally, I think uh, a lot of businesses haven't yet passed on cost increases to customers yet. I think maybe businesses uh, tend to want to delay doing that as much or for as long as possible, uh, as much as possible. But eventually, if this higher inflation does persist, then uh, those businesses, those cost increases will, will start to come through even at a greater pace, perhaps. Uh, If inflation does remain stubbornly high, of course, it might mean that the RBA will have to push rates higher. I note that uh, both ANZ and CBA forecast, its its forecast is the the peak cash rate will be 4.35%, which really means that there's one more hike to come from the RBA. Uh, And Coolabar Capital's chief macro strategist, uh, Kieran Davies, modelled this uh, many years, a couple of years ago, and suggested that the RBA would have to increase the cash rate to between 46 and 5.6% to get inflation under control. Now, uh, of course, this forecast is much higher than any other ma- mainstream economist estimates out there. Doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong, uh, but it is certainly an, an outlier. I guess the point is that if inflation does remain sticky, if we don't get it under control, uh, we, can't, we will have to make friends with a, a much higher interest rate environment for much longer. So what if the RBA pushes interest rates too high? Well, I think there's certainly a cohort in Australia that would be really filling the pinch of higher interest rates together with higher cost of living. Um, And that's particularly sort of lower income families and higher indebted households. Uh, They're suffering. 
However, it's also true that there's a cohort of Australians whose spending patterns remain largely unchanged. And this cohort tends to be obviously higher income earning families, particularly with large savings and and maybe low debt levels. That's the problem with monetary policy. It really is a blunt instrument. You know, you you tend to, by increasing interest rates, you're going to put people under a, a lot of pressure that can't really afford to be under a lot of pressure, just so that you can hopefully start curtailing the spending patterns of wealthy individuals as well. And let's look at the inflation measure. You know, um, the ABS thinks inflation is 7% to the year to March. But anyone that's walked through a supermarket lately knows that there's heaps of products out there that uh, have increased by a lot more than 7%. So, you know, the real cost of living, the, the real increase in cost of living is obviously much higher than what CPA suggests. You know, the saving grace is that once the RBA is confident it's got inflation under control, it can provide immediate relief to households by cutting interest rates again. And of course, the government can use fiscal policy, so increasing its spending to stimulate the economy. Therefore, if we do go into a recession, if Australia does slip into a recession, I think it's likely to be a really shallow one and uh, one that won't persist for very long because as soon as it occurs and we do have inflation under control, interest rate settings and fiscal policy settings can normalise. Okay, so what do you do if you believe or you're worried about inflation persisting and therefore in, in interest rates persisting as well? Uh, and uh, so I've got a, a link to a chart in the show notes that research affiliates put together. And what they did is they had a look at the relative performance of different asset classes in an environment where there was a positive uh, surprise to inflation. So that is where an environment where people thought inflation was coming back into control, but then subsequently uh, we found out that inflation was was a lot higher than what is expected. And so what I'll do is I'll just give you a sort of couple of insights of what that chart tells us. Uh, Firstly, commodities perform the best. However, arguably, I would say Australian investors already have enough exposure to commodities through the index about Uh, 40, 24% of the index is invested in basic material sector, uh, which is really a a good proxy for uh, commodities. So whilst commodities perform well, it should mean that the Australian market should outperform if they're in a high inflationary environment compared to other markets that don't have as much exposure to commodity prices. Uh, If that's not good enough for you and you want more, Vanek has a good resource ETF. Uh, The ticker code is MVR. But I would uh, really counsel people from uh, having too much exposure to commodities. Real estate investment trusts uh, were also seen to be a good inflation hedge because obviously as property prices accelerate higher in a higher inflationary environment, I tend to prefer not to invest in Australian REITs because they tend to have sort of too much exposure to retail property, particularly on a look-through basis. And global REITs provide a lot more diversification. Uh, so there's an, another Vanek product, uh, and the ticker code is REIT, uh, and there's a Vanguard uh, Property Securities Fund, Internet Global Properties Securities Fund that I like as well, but that's only uh, in managed fund uh, format. Again, I've got the links in the, the show notes for people that want to learn more about that. Uh, inflation-linked bonds were, were also good. They're, these uh, Inflation-linked bonds means the coupon is linked to the CPI rate, so you don't suffer any reduction in income or your income is really linked to the the inflation rate. 
And there is a ETF, the ticket code is uh, ILB. Uh, that's about the only one in Australia that gives us uh, exposure to inflation-linked bonds. And the fourth observation was that equities really didn't do very well in an inflationary environment. US equities tended to perform better than uh, other markets, although I'm not sure that's going to be true this time round, given where valuations are in the US. They're very lofty already. So I don't think that's going to be true uh, this time around. And value certainly outperformed growth to a to really big margin uh, as well during high inflationary times. So what should you do with all this information? I, I guess we've got to maintain a, a balanced view of what could happen in the, the future, both in terms of interest rates and inflation and markets and so forth. I don't think we should make any really radical changes to our investment strategy or asset allocation and so forth, but there might be uh, slight tilts that you can make or small changes at the margin to accommodate some of these risks. So for example, how what sort of methodology you might be using to invest in equities rather than dramatically reducing your equity exposure and increasing to bonds and REITs and commodities, you know, that would seem to be too aggressive to my mind really maybe just change the way that you're investing in equities uh, and then add some REITs if you don't already have some. Think about, you know, what you're doing with your bond exposure, those sorts of things. If nothing else, perhaps this podcast and this topic highlights how how complex uh, the portfolio construction and management uh, can be in these sorts of times to really wade through all the noise and the risks and opportunities to make sure that you know, we're, we're accommodating all those, you know, we're making the most of the opportunities and, and mitigating some of the risks, but still at the same time, keeping our eye firmly focused on the long-term goal. Okay, that's it for me for this week. Until next week, bye for now.